0: So friends, thank you for joining us on the Truckers Following Christ podcast. My name is Pastor Steve. I am your host and guide on this journey. Uh, We started last episode looking at the book of Daniel. I gave you an introduction to uh, the person of Daniel and uh, his parents in particular. Now, his parents aren't mentioned in scripture as such, but there are a number of conclusions we can draw from the context of uh, Daniel's life and the circumstances in the history of Israel at that particular moment in history. So uh, the book of Daniel, we're going to look at parts of chapter one today but I still want to give you kind of an overview of the book of Daniel in general. There are a few things that are important to understand, uh, and that is that the book as we have it uh, in in our English Bible, it's not in chronological order. And when we read it in English, obviously all uh, 12 of the chapters are in English, whereas in the original, Daniel is an interesting book because some of the chapters are written in Hebrew and some of the chapters are written in Aramaic. Uh, Now, Daniel was taken into captivity into the Babylonian Empire where they spoke Aramaic. The Jews, of course, spoke Hebrew. Uh, So there is specific reasons as to why certain chapters are written in Hebrew and some written in Aramaic. So I want to explain that a little bit to you. So the first six chapters in the book of Daniel are a history of Daniel's life in the courts of both the Babylonians and the Persian Empire. Uh, The second six chapters are insight into the prophetic visions and dreams that Daniel received. So the first six look at the history, the second six look at prophecy. Language-wise, chapters 1 and 8 through 12 are written in Hebrew. Uh, they were written specifically to the Jews with the intent that the Babylonians would not be able to easily understand what was written. The first chapter in specific is an introduction and a quick overview of who Daniel is as a person. And then chapters 2 through 7 being in Aramaic, uh, those speak of how God deals with Gentile nations. So we'll we'll look at those chapters uh, as we go on in the weeks ahead. But it's specifically communicating to the Gentiles how God interacts with them. Uh, then Daniel resumes focusing on the foretelling of God's developing relationship with Israel as a nation. And uh addresses specific uh, audiences knowing that the Jews, of course, of that day could read both Aramaic and Hebrew. The Gentiles, however, pretty much uh, only knowing Aramaic. So, uh, again, just to recap, chapters 1 and 8 through 12 written in Hebrew, chapters 2 through 7 written in Aramaic. Now, here's the chronological order of the book. As I mentioned, it is not... um, transcribed to us in a chronological order so it's helpful for us to understand what the chronology is and uh, also to as we study this book to read that book in the chronological order so first would be chapters 1 through 4 which deals with the captivity of the jewish people and uh, specifically under nebuchadnezzar Then comes chapters 7 and 8, so we skip over 5 and 6 chronologically, so it's chapters 1 through 4 and then 7 through 8. 7 and 8 are the dreams during the first and third year of Belshazzar. Uh, also a Babylonian king after Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Then chapter 5 would be next chronologically, which is the judgment of Belshazzar. You'll remember the handwriting on the wall. Uh, So you've got chapters 1 through 4, then 7 and 8, then comes chapter 5. After chapter 5 is chapter 9, which is Daniel's prayer, uh, specifically relating to Jeremiah's prophecy, and his uh, burden Daniel's burden for his nation chapter six is then the lion's den which is the next chronological section and that is under the Persian rule Uh, then chapters 10 through 12 finish out the book and uh, chronologically are at the end as well. And those are the dreams that are interpreted uh, in the third year of Cyrus. So again, chapters 1 through 4, then 7, and 8, then 5, then 9, then 6, Then 10 through 12. So when you read this in the chronological order, uh, it can give you a deeper revelation of the book of Daniel and give you a a more insight and understanding into what uh, journey he was on as well. Uh, So I encourage you to read it that way as we study. Now Daniel chapter 1, I'm going to read certain um, verses and uh, talk about them. So verses 1 and 2. So, the historical context of this um, is important to understand because it correlates back to what we talked about last uh, last episode um, looking at King Josiah. So the first chapter introduces us to the main character of the book, which is Daniel and his uh, companions. Uh, the Babylonian exile which was appointed by God, the God of Israel. So you have to understand, God, who loves his people Israel, he chooses a wicked nation, the Babylonians, to discipline his people and bring them back to a pure relationship with the God of the Bible. Uh, the principles that are involved in uh in, in how God relates to his people. He desires faithfulness, and He he's very much against the defilement of his people. So he uses even wicked kings to bring uh, discipline and correction to his people, the ones he loves. Uh, King Nabopolassar and the Medes uh, they fight the Assyrians in 612 BC. So this happens before, uh, Daniel, uh, chapter one, verse one starts. Nabopolassar, uh, he's the king of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar's father with the Medes. And we'll learn about the Medes later. They, they, uh, Come into picture with the Persians and they establish the Medo Persian Empire after Babylon is overthrown. But at this particular point in history, Nabopolassar, Nebuchadnezzar's father, together with the Medes as his allies, conquers Assyrian territory because the Assyrian Empire was the empire before the Babylonians. And actually, the kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity um, under the Assyrians. The kingdom of Judah was taken into cap- captivity under Babylon. So King nabopolassar with the Medes, defeats each Assyrian city until he finally conquers the city of Nineveh uh, after a three-month siege which happened in the year 612 BC. Uh, the Assyrian power was uh, remaining but very faint at that point with only a residue of the empire left in Haran. You'll remember Haran was where uh, Abram stopped uh, for quite a while, uh, for years until his uh, father died. Um, uh, it's, it's actually, Haran is the place of delay. But uh, So there's a, a residue of the Assyrian uh, empire left in Haran, and Egypt uh, filled that power void in Palestine and sought to fight off the Babylonian domination. So that, that's kind of what's happening historically. Pharaoh Necho, who's in charge of Egypt, he, in 609 BC, he comes out and uh, he fights uh, battles trying to push back the Babylonians. And in that, that time period of battling there is when King Josiah comes out and Necho reluctantly kills King Josiah, he warns him, he says, My fight's not against you. But uh, Josiah is uh, being disobedient to, uh, to the Lord in this instance and is killed in that battle. Now, Josiah's son, Jehoahaz, takes his place, but is deposed by Pharaoh after three months. And Pharaoh puts in place uh, essentially a puppet king named Jehoiakim. Uh, Now, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he comes into the picture. He is hungry for conquest, and he sweeps through the area known as Carchemish, Uh, routing the Egyptians he threatens Jerusalem but stops short of conquering them because of his father's death in 605 BC so um, he routes the Egyptian army but he doesn't conquer that area because he has he's called back to essentially uh, be made king in Babylon so he he destroys the Egyptian army besieges Jerusalem uh, And he threatens to destroy it like he had the Egyptians, forces them to pay tribute to him, but stops short of destroying them because of the news of his father passing away. And so he has to return to Babylon to take over the throne. Now, Nebuchadnezzar uh, makes two uh, stipulations, um, two requests, you could say, of the Jews for not destroying them. Uh, first, he wants young, talented, and gifted young boys for his court, and second, he demands the valuable articles from the temple. So he gathers 12 to 16-year-olds from the royal family and from the noble class who are good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, quick to understand, um, understand the etiquette of the court, and uh, wants them to begin training in under his uh, under his Auspices. Then he demands the treasures from the temple, and uh, the uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, comes back years later to surround Jerusalem, uh, to starve them out, and the Lord actually gives Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So again, God is bringing about what he had told them, uh, told the nation of Israel, uh, kingdom of Judah. Uh, He had told them that he would be bringing punishment, uh, discipline, correction, uh, and using an evil king to do it. Uh, The Lord alone is sovereign over his people's destiny. So we need to come to terms with that and understand that uh, God is a jealous God. If we uh, worship false gods, if we give our affections to falsehood and lies, he is jealous for us and he will come after us and do what, what is necessary to bring us back into a pure relationship with him. He loves us so much that he'll deliver us into the hand of the enemy in order to make our hearts yearn for him again. So God strategically opposes uh, our sin, uh, sin in our nation. So there's personal sin, but there's also corporate sin. And he opposes both of those. He opposes pride uh, by allowing our enemies to plunder us and exile us for a season. So it's his kindness uh, that uh, hinders us from growing bold in sinfulness, uh, and he he hinders us by allowing judgment to come. Uh, he allows our effectiveness to be stolen and our strength to be broken. Uh, the Bible calls this chastening or purifying, refining, pruning. Uh, it's the disciplines of a good father allowing for our faith to be proven, to be genuine uh, through pressure. So, God brings judgment on his people through exile. Uh, and it truly is his kindness towards them because he, he desires to remove everything that hinders love. And uh, disobeying God hinders love. Amazingly, when you look through the history of the people of Israel, God is able to preserve their identity, preserve their culture and their language, and to strengthen them and cause them to have a heart to hunger for their God. Uh, It's amazing if you think about how God has accomplished that throughout history. Uh, even in recent history, uh, before the Second World War, um, the people, the, the Jews, still had their identity, still had their culture, still had their language, even though they didn't even have a nation to call their own. Uh, only God can do that. There's no other nation on this planet that, or people group that has uh, survived all of their aspects of their culture and language uh, without having a place to call home. Now, when you are besieged and everything around you is crumbling, uh, it's important to understand who initiated that, who's in control so that your heart doesn't fail from fear of the expectation of things to come. And I think in terms of the end times, which is what we are ultimately studying, uh, we need to understand that God is the one who initiates the start of that final seven-year period which we call the tribulation Uh, he is in control he's the one who opens the seals he's the one pouring out the wrath uh, on and the the judgments on the planet god is in control we are not um, under the uh, rule of anybody other than God, even though bad things will be happening, God limits them in their scope because of his love and his kindness. He has to bring judgment on sin. He has to uh, remove everything that hinders love. And that's his motivation is to have a pure bride presented to him. And uh, he does that through bringing discipline, So, um, let me read the next few verses in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So as a member of nobility, Daniel, at around age 15, is ripped out of his home, uh, taken from his culture, his family, his language. He's marched across the country for miles and miles in chains into captivity. uh, And he's going to spend the rest of his life there. Now, imagine what you would feel like if you're a 15 year old. You uh, were born during the. revival time of King Josiah. You had parents who taught you the ways of the Lord. But now, most likely, his parents have been killed, or at least left behind. And Daniel is marched off into captivity in chains uh, to spend the rest of his life in a foreign place. Imagine the hopes and dreams and the aspirations that this young man would have had. And how they are dashed before his eyes. In a very short time, um, Daniel lost everything that he knew. He lost his identity, his freedom, his manhood, uh, his routines, relationships, language and culture. His parents lost his name. They gave him a new name. The name that Daniel is given and his friends uh, is very interesting because the Babylonians tried to demoralize them uh, and to remove their culture in assimilating them into the, way, the ways of Babylon and the false worship uh, of false gods. So Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, his name is changed to Belteshazzar, which means may Bel, which is a Babylonian god, protect his life. Hananiah, whose name means Yahweh is gracious, his name is changed to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku, which was the Babylonian moon god. Mishael means who is what God is changed to Meshach who is what Aku is and Azariah whose name means Yahweh has helped or will help is changed to Abednego which means he's a servant of Nebo uh, which is a reference to the second uh, mightiest god in the Babylonian pantheon Nabu so uh, it's interesting in, in our even Sunday school material, we he, we remember Daniel by his actual name, but we don't remember his three friends by their actual names. We remember them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, but uh, Daniel, pretty much, we we all remember as Daniel. God is my judge, um, but his his all all four of these characters the babylonians try to destroy their identity in every aspect to make them into it's almost like they're they're wanting to empty them of everything that has been placed in them the only thing that's left over is um, their criteria they had to come from nobility be good looking and be able to be trained so uh, the babylonians are trying to completely empty them from everything that's been poured into them Uh, in their early years their formative years and trying to make them into something that um, that they are not so their allegiance is essentially bought and secured Um, the assimilation was the goal Um, they were put through an intense training program for three years kind of like a concentration camp uh, they learned the language, the literature of the Chaldeans. They were acculturated into the wealthiest city of the day. Uh, they're entreated with the king's delicacies. They were given daily pres- provisions of the king's uh, food and wine. Uh, they're entreated with the fine things, the best food, best drink of the day. and. The goal essentially was to pride themselves, the, the Babylonians priding themselves with assimilating the finest of the captors, making them want to be Babylonians. Uh, this is one of the reasons why the end time religion that is uh, going to come, that one world religion uh, that's mentioned in book of Revelation is actually termed the harlot Babylon. She entices non-Babylonians to commit spiritual adultery with her. At the core, that harlot Babylon is from the pits of hell, but on the surface, she is enticing. So let's read a few more verses, uh, verses 8 through 14, in chapter 1 of Daniel. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king. Who has appointed your food and drink? For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king." So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be examined before you, and the countenances of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, and tested them ten days. So we can see that Daniel obviously had... A focused prayer life. He had a history in God with prayer. Daniel uh, 1 verse 4 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was looking for young men who were gifted in all wisdom. Daniel was faithful in his studies and in his learning and was able to pass uh, that interview in order to be taken to Babylon. Uh, later on in Daniel 6 verse 10 it states that Daniel prayed three times daily facing Jerusalem as he had done from his childhood. So we know Daniel had been raised in a godly atmosphere of prayer and biblical instruction. This enabled him to endure in the day of trial. So again, his parents had tremendous prophetic insight into uh, teaching their child to pursue God in prayer and fasting, Uh, even in the midst of that revival that was taking place under King Josiah. How are we training our children to develop those spiritual gifts and those spiritual disciplines? Prayer, fasting, study of God's word. Do our kids know how to engage with God without us around? Daniel was prepared to face the judgment of his day. Uh, when Daniel was left with uh, choices that would be ungodly, there was a strength in his spirit that had been developed. It, w- it enabled him to live counter-cultural to the trends of his day. We live in a time period where that is becoming more and more necessary for us to live countercultural. But without having a history in God, without being prepared to face those uh, choices, we will not be able to stand strong. Daniel had to make a decision to follow God in the midst of confusion, in the midst of hurt, deep personal hurt and pain. I'm sure that he leaned on uh, the scriptures, Psalm 119 uh, verse 9 through 16 is a great passage of scripture. Let me read that to you. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you, oh let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So again, Daniel had to decide whether or not he was going to follow God in the midst of this confusion. Daniel chose to press in to God. There was nothing righteous in Babylon. If this 15-year-old had not had a history in God, there's no way that he would have been able to stand up against the enticements that they were giving him to reject everything that was from his culture and language and religion. Uh, Daniel had a history in God that sustained him. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. A 15-year-old chooses the battleground of food. Food is a key issue at the end of the age as well. We have a whole judgment that will take place that will be famine and We, as the people of God, we need to have a history in God of fasting and prayer. Fasting is essentially denying the pleasures in order to press into God and to pursue Him. And that's what Daniel had done from a young age, so that at age 15, he's able to choose that as his battle. He took a great risk at age 15. He didn't know how that was going to play out. He asks for permission. I mean, th- what 15-year-old do you know that would have the courage to stand up to uh, his captors and uh, choose a battleground of fasting in order to stay pure? Daniel 1.17 tells us that he studied all the literature and wisdom of the day including the other religions and their ceremonies. Yet he chose that fasting as his battleground. Daniel knows the prophecies of Jeremiah. Uh, he refuses to join with the wicked rulers in partaking of the delicacies offered to him. Because obviously the wicked ruler is seeking to destroy uh Daniel's own people seeking after the pleasures of this world is really an issue of the heart. Now, heart has to be uh, tuned in to the things of God to be able to resist the pleasures of the world. Uh, we definitely live in a culture where overeating is the norm and self-indulgent is the norm it's going to leave many people very dull spiritually very lean in their soul and very unprepared for what is coming consider these passages of Scripture Proverbs 23 verses 1 through 3 when you sit down to eat with a ruler Consider carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat, if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Psalm 106, verses 13 and following. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness, and they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. 1 John 2 Verses 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Daniel is a great example to us. He takes his stand in the context of his friendship with those three other guys. He sustains his heart with the comfort of the three others that are joining with him. It's awesome that God understands our need for... uh, having a larger identity than ourselves. God provides a band of brothers to journey uh, with Daniel. And he does that for us as well, which is why we're not to forsake the meeting together uh, of the church. We're supposed to journey together and encourage one another. Proverbs 27:17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I want to challenge you to start, if you haven't already, to create a history in God, to build on your times of prayer, include fasting. It is important to have a history in God, to be able to partner with his heart, to understand what's going on. He says, watch and pray to work against the affections of this world that try to steal our time and energy. Meet with brothers and sisters. Encourage one another. Be together and create that history in God. God bless you.